Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. Thoughtful conversation about the news of the day. We address the existential threats to America. Today, we'll catch up on a lot of things political, but political writ large. Byron York, one of your favorites, certainly one of ours, columnist at the Washington mm-hmm. Examiner, Fox News contributor. But first, a few things I'd like to discuss. Got anything you want to say, Mr. Jennings? Yeah, you know, it's funny getting ready for Byron today, uh, looking at one of his most recent pieces, and he brought up something that we hadn't talked about in a long time, but is an issue nonetheless, the southern border. Does anyone remember that and that problem and that issue? It's the number one issue, I think. Mm -hmm. I think it's the number one issue. It made me think that it's probably time to reach out to our friend Mark Rikorian. Uh, to get him on yeah. to kind of refresh. With, I mean, with everything else going on, I mean, we're talking about, again, uh, you know, Ukraine, of course, that's a big deal. There's really big issues going on here. And the southern border, like you said, is probably top of the list or should be top of the list. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's going to be crazy if he lifts Title 42. We're going to talk about that with Byron because uh, he wrote a column about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll talk about other things with him. So the, uh, the most fascinating thing to me is the insight into human nature. Okay. Busy types that I got. I think I reported on the last show, but we're talking to Byron. Oh, yeah. Five extremely busy men. You, Byron, (laughs) three guys who, Mm -hmm. you know, work all the time, day, night. Write them an email, hope for a response in a week. (laughs) I write all five of you at Uh 830 in the morning saying, give me your top picks for the Masters. Right. Heard back from everyone by 930. (laughs) Right. Well, it was urgent. Number one, I mean, it was Thursday morning. You know what made me think of that was reading this thing here that says thoughtful conversation about the things that matter. Yeah. Like the Masters. Well, we did a whole Masters special with Byron uh, in addition to the normal episode. But um, the guys who finished one, and I guess by the end of the, the match, he wasn't uh, the round. Of, uh, he wasn't number two. But for most of the time, Cam Smith had, you know, he was the best shot to take down Scheffler. You know, those were two guys we talked about in the email chain. There. Well, that would make it things that matter. Right. <laughs> because prophecy is very important. Mm-hmm. There you being go. able to predict the future. <laughs> right. But Scheffler played well. Did you watch any of the Masters? You know, I've got to tell the audience here. And Byron is particularly hard to get, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah he's yeah, particularly yeah. hard to get. But he's always willing. I mean, anytime he can, he comes on the show. I mean, you know, but he's... We got but a, you, sometimes I, I, you have to call him two, three times. Yeah, to say the least. Remind, you have to remind yeah. him to say the least. Yeah, usually it's, well, for you it may be two or three times. For me, it's closer to 10 to 12. Really? <laughs> He's busy. He's You know, it's fine. I understand leverage. I don't have a yeah. lot of leverage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Dr. Bill, I'm not really a huge supplement guy. I'm not a protein shake guy. I don't do a lot of vitamins and stuff like that. But my wife's been getting on me. She says you need to eat better. Take some supplements, get some vitamins. You're getting older and you've got to watch out for your health. And so I started taking AG1, Athletic Greens. But here's the thing. I didn't really have time to go through a whole regimen of things. Uh, But, yeah, could use more energy. Uh, You know, everyone wants to boost their immune system, especially with the latest pandemic. But I don't really like pills, don't really like vitamins. If I can have a supplement that actually is easy to take, fits into my normal routine and doesn't taste really bad, I'm all for it. So, again, introduced to AG1, decided to give it a try. And here's the thing about it. 
one scoop of AG1 and you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. I don't even know what an adaptogen is, but it's in there, and it's to help you start your day right. So this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, your aging, all the things that my wife seems to be worried about when it comes to me and my health. And I'm worried about it, too. I want to make sure that I do things right. So here's how I take my AG1. It comes in a great package. They send you the powdery mix. It's all in the bags and stuff there. But they also send you a water bottle, and it's got the measurements, how many ounces, so you don't have to guess the measurement. You take one serving of the powder, 8 to 12 ounces of water. You shake it up, and then you take it. I do it in the morning, and let me tell you, I do feel more energetic. And I just feel good knowing that the essential vitamins and minerals and all the things that I need to be healthy, I'm consuming it in this one drink. Now, here's the thing about taste, because that's one of the things I worry about. I'm going to be honest. It's not as if it's cookies and cream ice cream, okay? It's a supplement. It's not coffee with a ton of sugar and hazelnut cream. That's not what it is. It's a supplement. But I will say this. It's the best supplement that I tasted. It just kind of tastes like flavored water a little bit, and that's fine with me. I was actually pleasantly surprised about how it tastes. Now, I actually would recommend this to family and friends, which is why I'm sharing it here on the podcast. Here's the cool thing about it. Number one, it's lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, this is good for you. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. It costs you less than $3 per day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Athletic Greens AG1 was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover. It cost him $100 a day. So he created Athletic Greens after experiencing how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition routine on your own. So listen, right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. Simple and nutritious. One scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash bill. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash bill to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, let's welcome Byron York to the show. He's a columnist at the Washington Examiner and a Fox News contributor. Can we start by talking about, I I had no idea, Byron, about this Gridiron Club dinner uh, where uh, Sununu with Chris, governor, right, of New Hampshire. Correct. Uh, I was once the speaker at the Gridiron Dinner, and uh, it's a you know it's a really it, it, it's kind of daunting for a conservative. But tell the the audience what happened and and the result. This this amazing story. Well, first of all, I, I I figured you must have a long Gridiron Dinner history, so I'll get into that later. But at this one, the most recent one, which has now become kind of famous as a COVID super spreader event. Um, you know, this is the Gridiron Dinner. It's it, the Gridiron Club is the oldest journalistic club in Washington. 
It puts on a dinner every year. People wear white tie to it. Uh, and the whole idea. Don't I know? Yeah. The whole idea is that uh, the politicians who come are supposed to put on comedy routines and they're supposed to be self-deprecating. Uh, sometimes they're even funny. They actually are funny sometimes. I've never been to one. I'll say that right now, but I read accounts. Sometimes they're painfully flat. But the, right. the Red Iron Club says it has a tradition, and the tradition is to, quote, singe, not burn their target. So you're only supposed to go so far in um, in poking fun at yourself or uh, somebody else. So what this results in is, since it is the media, uh, most of the audience are, are Democrats. I mean, they're liberals and Democrats. And there is a temptation, I think, for some conservatives, Republican speakers who might want to win acceptance uh, to do a little extra singeing of uh, of the Republican targets. So that brings up Chris Sununu, governor of New Hampshire. He speaks there. Um, And I'm going to read you an account of what he said. This is from Politico Playbook, which had there's no recording of this. They had put together various accounts. So, quote, this is about Donald Trump. You know he's probably going to be the next president, Sununu said of Trump. And Sununu talked about how Trump had experience and a sense of integrity. Um, and as Politico reports, the room gets quiet because people are, are, are seeing, where's he going to go with this? He's talking about Trump being the next president and having experience and integrity. Come on, what, what, where's the punchline here? So he pauses for a while. Um, and he says, no, I'm just kidding. He's effing crazy, except he actually used the F word. Yeah. Uh, and so everybody just explodes into laughter. Oh, that's that's really, really funny. Are you kidding? Come on. You guys are buying that. He just stresses me out so much. I'm going to deny I ever said it. And then uh, Sununu also said the press often will ask me if I think Donald Trump is crazy. And I'll say it this way. I don't think he's so crazy that you could put him in a mental institution, but I think if he were in one, he ain't getting out. So there's there's the routine. There's the highlight of the routine. A Republican governor has come in and uh, trashed Trump to this mostly Democratic audience. And amazingly enough, they loved it. Yeah. Repercussions or what is this show? This is emblematic of a conflict inside the Republican Party. Yeah. Well, first of all, Sununu the next day and the day after had to spend a lot of time cleaning up after himself. He said that, uh, look, I don't think it's crazy. He's crazy. It's all a joke. It was all in fun. It's a joke. And anyone who's trying to make more of this doesn't understand what the gridiron dinner is all about. And I would I would agree. Most Americans do not understand what the gridiron is dinner dinner is about and, and don't need to understand it either. Um, so Sununu is trying to clean up this. But it's going to come back and, and get him sometime. Um, I think it's indicative of the fight that's going on inside the Republican Party, yeah. Yeah. Um, not just over Trump himself, but over Trump's platform uh, in politics and between those people who want a sort of Trumpian future and those who would prefer to return to a pre-Trump Republican Party. Um, that's going to be a huge fight going forward, whether or not. Donald Trump runs in 2024. I would, I might differ with you slightly on the on the divide, but 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 maybe not. You you be the judge. Um, first of all, what he did there was over the top. That's not singeing. That's burning. I mean, that's really going after somebody, and he's going after the former president. Uh, and I think I, I can't remember your exact words, but you can correct me. You said the division between the pre-Trump Republicans 
and Trump Republicans. But I think there's a division inside the Trump Republicans between those who want the Trump policies without Trump. Yes. And those who want to go full bore with Trump. I think that's an excellent point to make. Yeah. So that you get a guy like DeSantis. And if you talk to a lot of Republicans who like DeSantis, they'll say he'll give us Trump policies without Trump. Is that what you hear? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right about that. There's you're right. It's it's uh, it's it's more complex than that. And as a matter of fact, the 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 number of people who would like to go back to a pre-Trump party, I would say somebody like the governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan, would fit into that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those people are probably a pretty small minority. I think Uh, the number of people who want to go into a post-Trump future, but carrying on a lot of Trump's um, policies who realize that there's no going back. There's no going back to the George W. Bush Republican Party. Right. That's a pretty significant group. And then probably still the largest group is people who want Trump himself uh, to come back. So I think those are the the biggest group is the ones who want Trump himself. The next biggest group is the ones who want Trump policies without Trump. And a really, really small group is the group that wants to go back. Yeah. you. I mean, you're, you're a reporter and a writer, and I'm a I'm an active partisan. And I heard myself saying, uh, I hope he decides not to run and hands the mantle over to DeSantis. And when a, a listener to this podcast said why, I said, I just don't want to go through it again. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, just, you know, defending and explaining and, well, <laughs> he didn't mean that. And that's not, so, you know, on and on and on. Uh, you know, the guy needs constant defense and explanation. Yeah. You know, if not apologia. So um, anyway, but but I, I, I think you're right, because uh, I was talking to another friend who said, yeah, I, I understand your point of view. He said, but if you go around the country, the country, not Florida, it's Trump signs everywhere. I don't know if anybody's been watching these Trump rallies, but uh, he's pretty much in campaign form. They're very powerful performances. And if you like Trump, they're just great. And um, he's getting big audiences. Uh, he's doing he's acting just like he's a candidate. And I will tell you, there is no potential Republican candidate who could put on a show like that. Nobody. Oh. And uh, so whoever it is, uh, somebody with a very substantial, a very substantial person with a really good record, like a Ron DeSantis or a uh, Tom Cotton. Uh, or a Mike Pompeo or others. Yeah. Uh, yeah they will, yeah. they will face a tough time, you know, being compared and standing up to this enormous Trump persona that you see in these rallies. And those are impressive men, you know, they are, uh, you got, you got to say, I mean, Tom Cotton, Mike Pompeo, Ron DeSantis, these are accomplished men and impressive men. Uh, do you think he's going to run? Trump? Well, um, there's there's two ways I look at it. One, um, if he doesn't run, if he retires now, he's he's over. I mean, his yeah, place of prominence, his his impact is diminished enormously. So he has every incentive to keep uh, up the idea that he is going to run again and that he's the leader of the Republican Party. So it, it he's sort of kind of the incumbent president for Republicans. So 
um, he has every incentive to to say and hint that he's going to run again. And he and he go he walks all the way up to the line all the time. I mean, he's just saying it all the time. Yeah, uh, you're going to like this decision. Uh, yeah. You're going to like what I'm going to do. Um, so there's that. And then on the other hand, there's, there's that reason to be kind of skeptical. Maybe you should take it with a grain of salt because what's, what else is he going to say? On the other hand, if somebody says they're going to do something over and over and over again, maybe you ought to just believe them. And yeah, he's going to run again. Um, so I would think that the odds are barring some sort of health issue. And, uh, he would be 78 upon taking office. if He ran again, um, barring some sort of health issue. I would expect that he will. Yeah, uh, left out here, but not left out in your column, is the fact that perhaps even more than a large number of Republicans, there's another group of people who would really like to run against Trump, would like him to run. And that's Democrats. Yeah. Right. Well, right now, I mean, they're they're running against Trump right now in the midterm elections when we know for a sure. fact that he's not on the ballot. Yeah. Um, so... You know, what's weird is they seem to have an uncontrollable impulse. So we knew that after Trump left office, they were going to try to make all politics about Trump and try to tie Trump around the neck of of Republicans or around the ankle, whatever body part you want to use. But um, we knew they were going to do that. And then came the election for governor in Virginia, in which Terry McAuliffe, former governor of Virginia, is running. And he tries to make the race about Trump. And it doesn't work. If you remember, this is long, long ago in November of last year. uh, If you remember, a lot of Democrats were saying, you know, maybe we can't make everything about Trump. Maybe we just can't do that. Maybe we're going to have to move on a little bit. And that that lasted for a month or two. And now, you know, the, the Politico recently did a story. Uh, Democrats are searching for a villain and they've got one, Donald Trump, and they want to make the whole uh, whole campaign about Trump again. So I think they just can't help themselves. Um, on the other hand, and so I don't think it's going to work in the midterms. On the other hand, if he runs for president, he'll be on the on the ballot. And of course, it will be about Trump. Yeah. And what and what will happen? I mean, I, I you know, you don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, no. But uh, there is this large middle of the country, yeah. which, uh, uh, you know, someone we both learned from, Michael Barone, has told us, you know, decide elections. Right. And they seem pretty critical of Joe Biden. But a lot of them don't like Donald Trump either and will not vote for him no matter what, no matter what's yeah. happening. And and so, I, you know, I, someone said to me, I'm, I'm not supporting Trump for president because I think he's one of the few Republicans who would run and, and quite conceivably lose. Yeah. Unlike Cotton, Pompeo, Scott, DeSantis. Well, there's been this feeling that Trump was would be unbeatable in a Republican primary yeah, and yeah. unelectable in a general election. And um, that may be true, but you have to look at the Biden administration, the weaknesses of the Biden administration, the disarray among Democrats about who is going to be their 2024 presidential candidates. And yes. have, you ever seen, have you ever seen a party that elects a president and within the first year, they don't know yeah. if it's going to run for reelection? Never. Yeah. Never. I mean, it, you don't want to become a lame duck in your first year, which Biden did. So um, given did you that, say they don't know whether he'll run? He no, they run. don't know. I mean, he says he's he can't run. run. He can't run. Large he numbers may, expect that he, he won't run. He may not make it through this first. He would term. be asking the American people 
to keep him in office until he's 86. Uh, and, and, and Kamala ain't going to do it. So now what? We got Pete Buttigieg. Well, That's here we the... go. Here we go. This is the disarray that yeah. possibly just opening a big, wide door for Donald Trump. Um, yeah. So in a more normal situation, if Democrats had elected um, a, a president who was not too old and they had 20 choices uh, of people who yeah. If, yeah. if they had, then I think that Trump would it would be a very daunting task for Trump to come back and defeat an incumbent president. Uh, but given the disarray on the Democratic side, I, I just don't feel very sure about that. I got it. I got it. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Uh, by the way, will they will they do you think the Democrats will go for a third person who's not Biden or Harris? like Buttigieg or someone like that? Well, my my feeling has always been um, that they'll probably want to because Harris has been so underwhelming as uh, as a vice president. Do they and, know that? Do the Democrats know that? Yeah, I think they do. And, and they also know that she's pretty unpopular. But, you know, this is the Democratic Party. Um, a very, very large part of their base is minorities and women. And the idea of kicking out the first woman vice president of color, just kicking her off the ticket, just strikes me as absolutely impossible. She's the vice president. She's, a, she's the president's obvious successor in the case of some sort of emergency, but also in the case when it comes of running to, to uh, continue you know, his policies. So I just find it impossible to believe that the Democratic Party could do something like that. Maybe they would. Let, let, I'd be a surprise let, to me. Let's get in the head of Kamala Harris for a minute. Would I she, have no expertise in this subject. I'll tell you that uh, right you now. Know, I, <laughs> would she take a second term as vice president? You mean under would, a different president? Yeah. I, boy, that would, I would find that difficult to believe. Why, why I, should someone step in? You know, why should someone be allowed to just step in line in front of her? Yeah, I, for the same I mean, reason a, you decided. Yeah, vice president. Yeah. Okay, so she won't do that. So, yeah, they're 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 in a tough place. They're in a tough place. And they knew it. This was the world's most predictable problem. We knew that Joe Biden was born on November twentieth, nineteen forty-two. We've known that all along. Democrats knew it. They had twenty or twenty-five candidates, all of whom, except for Bernie Sanders. We're in kind of the sweet spot of, of age for a president. They wouldn't be facing this problem if they had chosen one of them, but they didn't do it. All right. Well, let's let's move on, um, because we're talking about being president of the United States of America. If we still are the United States of America, uh, they're looking for words to describe what will happen after Joe Biden lifts Title 42 at the border. Yeah, yeah. From what are they saying? Chaos to catastrophe, from dysfunction to disaster. Yeah, I thought we were in a disaster. Well, we are. We're we're in an ongoing uh, disaster uh, on the border right now, uh, because if you if you remember, the head of the border patrol recently said that his officers have encountered one million. Illegal border crossers in the first half, first six months of fiscal year 2022, that is since October the 1st, 2021 until today, a million illegal border crossers. Now, that was uh, in fiscal year 2021, there were 1.7 million encounters in the entire year. Okay, so this would be 2 million. This would be a lot more than even the, the rush 
that came after Biden uh, took office. Uh, so now, uh, if you lift Title 42, and believe me, the, the word has already gone out. Uh, people who want to cross illegally in the United States follow the news. They know what's going yeah. on. Yeah. We're seeing a lot of uh, uh, predictions from inside the Biden administration that's going to be really bad. Uh, the New York Times reported that, quote, Homeland Security officials described the contingency plans for managing as many as 18,000 encounters a day, a day yeah. at the border. OK, yeah. so yeah. Um, 18,000 a day. We just described one million in six months. 18,000 a day would be 3.2 million in the next six months. So take the disaster today and triple it. And even if it's just half that, okay, just half that, it would still be a huge record. Um, so, you know, everybody's expecting this. If it, if it happens, nobody can say they were surprised. And we all know it's because of a particular policy action by the Biden administration. Have most people in America felt this? Have most people in America felt this? What's, what's interesting is we do know the Biden administration is sort of secretly relocating uh, thousands of illegal border crossers to communities around the country where they're being, you know, greeted by uh, NGOs, non-governmental organizations, charities, sometimes yeah. religious charities to help them, you know, find housing and uh, get a start in some new area. So uh, a lot of places are seeing this, obviously the, the, the whole, all the border areas are seeing this quite a bit. Uh, I think it is contributing to a a change in, in political uh, orientation among a lot of Hispanic voters. You're seeing it uh, across Hispanic groups and across geography, not just in Florida, not just in Texas, What's in the New change? Jersey, all around the, the country. What's the change, the change is change? they're leaving the Democratic Party Good. and they're, they're becoming Republicans. But is and, the strategy here uh, at the border to bring in zillions of people who will eventually sign up as Democrats? Well, uh, that's always been the assumption that, um, first of all, you, if you allow lots and lots of people to come in and you want them to ultimately be your voters, the first thing you know is it's really hard to, to deport or expel many people. So if you're in, you're in. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, you do have to become a citizen to become a voter, although New York City wants wants to get rid of that idea. Uh, so it's a longer, longer term process. But I think the backfire possibility for Democrats is that um, a lot of Hispanic Americans do not like the idea of just wholesale illegal crossing of the border and people coming here illegally, especially the millions of people who came to the United States legally. And, yes, yes, yes. And took some trouble to do it. Um, yes. So, so this is backfired. Among a number of uh, Hispanic voters, many of whom, you know, their families have been in the country for hundreds of years. I think this is just not going to work out exactly like Democrats think it might. I was uh, looking at it another way. You know, um, I was the nation's first drug czar, you might recall. Um, and if you look at Ukraine, uh, best estimates, and this is a high estimate given the numbers I've seen, losing about 50, 50, 50 people a day since this thing started. Young people in America who die from fentanyl is 300 a day. 
9,000 a month, more than 100,000 a year from an enemy a criminal cartel or a series of cartels. Uh, doesn't matter much because it won't happen. I've urged several presidents to designate these cartels foreign terrorist organizations, which would allow people, us to go after them like we go after terrorists wherever they are. But if you just look at body count, um, and, you know, and I feel like all Americans do for the Ukrainian people, those are Ukrainian people. And I'm particularly solicitous of American people, American young people who die from fentanyl now. You know, they many of them cooperate in the actions that lead to their death. Nevertheless, that's another aspect of this border that's really a big deal. More than 100,000 people a year and most yeah, of them is. young. You know, life expectancy is down in the United States. Sorry, I don't. I'm interviewing you and I'm, I'm carrying on. But it's, it's just it's not just these people and what they're doing to communities. It's the stuff that's coming. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and clearly the, um, so the opening of the border with the welcoming rhetoric that we're hearing uh, from the uh, Biden administration, where they're, they're not going to return. They're certainly not going to detain illegal border crossers. They're going to process them, which means they're going to be allowed to stay in the United States. Given a cell phone, too, I understand. Yeah. And by the way, um, this is not a flow of people. Just they're all coming across the border of the United States with Mexico, but it's certainly not all Mexicans. Right. It's not all Northern Triangle. Right. It's people. It is Russians. It's Ukrainians. Ukrainians and Russians are coming. It's India. Yeah. It's yeah. Turks. Yeah. Yeah. It's people from all across Asia. It is people from all in South America. It is people from all around the world. There are over a hundred countries that uh, people have crossed illegally into the United States from. Well, so, who in their right mind in virtually any country in the world wouldn't see an opportunity to live and work in the United States as an improvement? Well, of course. Almost, almost, almost everybody, almost everybody from, of three billion people. Almost everybody. Well, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of Western Northern Europeans who, um, who are quite happy where they are. Yeah, it's um, totally fine. They, they small, view their societies a good bit more progressive than the United States. Yeah. But what you're saying about the broad about across the globe is is pretty much true. Yeah. So, I mean, what's the political impact of this? I mean, is this a killer for the Democrats? Yeah, it is right now. I mean, well, is it the biggest issue? No, it's not. It's not anywhere near as big as inflation. Inflation. Um, but it, it's it's probably not as big as crime, which is becoming a really, really yeah. issue. Yeah. Because it's such a fundamental issue, public safety is always the most important issue when there's a public safety threat. Um, so it, not as big as inflation or crime. It's a, re, it's a really big issue with the uh, Republican base, and it's a pretty big issue with uh, independence. So I think it's pretty much a major net negative for Democrats this fall. And, and is it a net gain back to what we were talking about earlier, Byron, is it a net gain for them in two years or four years or six years with blue voters? No, I don't think so. Um, I don't think so either, but why not? Well, um, first of all, I mean, the, the citizenship process takes an enormous amount of time. Yeah. And um, so just in terms of votes, I mean, for example, there are some special cases 
like Democrats were really happy that a lot of Puerto Ricans came to um, uh, came to the United States after the hurricane there. A lot of them came to Florida. And of course, they can vote immediately. They're United States citizens. So Democrats are very happy about that. Uh, but that's an unusual case. So obviously, a person from, um, from I don't know, Colombia crossing the border into the United States, um, it would t- it's going to take a long time for them to become a citizen. So the payoff is not in the next couple of years or even four years or even six years, really. Thank you, Byron right. York. Thank you very, very much. You know, free email services like Gmail and Yahoo aren't really free. You pay with your privacy. In fact, Internet giants like Big Tech Bank on exploiting your data by selling it to the highest bidder. Your business plan? Google has it. Your medical records? Yahoo can sell them to drug companies. You've got to be concerned about your email surveillance. So much of your personal data is at risk by using these free service providers. Companies can sell your data and they can target people with intrusive ads. You open up your email and then there's ad after ad after ad. It also opens you up to identity theft and phishing attacks. That's why I started to use Startmail. It makes me feel safe again. Startmail keeps my email private, period. Every email can be encrypted, even if the recipient does not use encryption. When you delete an email and start mail, it's gone forever. Not floating in the cloud, not able to be recovered somewhere, but gone. And Startmail uses their own servers, not Amazon's, which means they can't be put out of business like Parler. Switching to Startmail is seamless, too. You can easily transfer all your current email data, so there's no starting from scratch. Startmail is also backed by the most stringent privacy laws in the world. You get unlimited anonymous aliases. This feature protects your main email address from spam and phishing attacks. So when you're giving your email to a company but want to protect your identity, Startmail can generate a shareable alias email so people can't sell your information and they can be deleted any time. The thing I like about Startmail is that anytime I'm trying to sign up for a newsletter or I've got to send people my information and I've got to include an email address, it's unavoidable the way technology is. You've got to send that email address. The alias feature here on Startmail allows you to send an email address, still be able to correspond with people, but your real email address is still hidden. It's like an extra layer of protection. Plus, I like spy movies and spy television series, and so it makes me feel like a spy. Uh, Listen, I'm joking, but your cybersecurity has never been more at risk. We see this in the news all the time. Email snoops and scammers are taking advantage of the pandemic as phishing has skyrocketed in the last year. You can take control of your privacy with Startmail before it's too late. Start securing your email privacy with Startmail. Sign up today and you'll get 50% off your first year. That's half off of the first year. Go to startmail.com slash bill. That's startmail with a T, startmail, S-T-A-R-T, mail.com slash bill for 50% off your first year. Startmail.com slash bill. Claude, that does it for today's show. I hope you're exhausted. I am. <laughs> you can go watch golf now. Catch up on previous episodes of the show. Go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. You can like me anywhere. I don't care where you like me. Just yeah. Like me. The, the point of liking you is to like you in order to follow you. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and your friends. We'll catch up next week. <laughs>